Galaxy Lights, Coachella, Lightning Bolt Necklaces. Did you catch all the Scandaval clues? Last March, one cheating scandal launched a reality TV investigation that generated hundreds of conspiracy theories, thousands of podcast episodes, and millions of dollars in revenue. I'm Jody Walker, host of An American Scandal. Ahead of the Vanderpump Rules premiere, relive the pop culture phenomenon that rocked a reality nation. Starting January 23rd on Ringer Dish. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I'm Tara Palmieri. I'm Puck's senior political correspondent, and this is Somebody's Gotta Win. Dropping in right now with an emergency pod, it's about four o'clock on Sunday, and like I expected, Ron DeSantis was going to go home this weekend, look himself in the mirror, and decide, you know what, I think I'm out of the race, even though he had told supporters and bundlers that he was going to go on until South Carolina. The truth is there was no path to victory. In fact, he even told his donors that he thought he could win the U.S. Virgin Islands. And, you know, that's kind of a low point. I am bringing in Matthew Bartlett, who is our resident New Hampshire political strategist, operative on the ground. Um, And we're just going to break it all down and kind of tell you how this happened, how the golden boy of the Republican Party, who was at one time uh, polling ahead of Trump in New Hampshire, that is in January of 2023. And now here we are, January of 2024, and he was destined to get just five or six percentage points on Tuesday night in the New Hampshire primary. So he decided to drop out of the race. Matthew, what do you make of all of this? Yeah. Hey, we are dropping in uh, for a dropout. Kind of kind of crazy. Uh, a year ago, um, as you just said, Ron DeSantis was beating Donald Trump in the polls. The expectations were sky high. And now we have, you know, days before the New Hampshire primary, like you said, he was poised to come in, you know, third out of, out of three, 
um, which is also dead last. But it wasn't just dead last. It was like dead last by 20-ish, 30-ish points. It was, it was, it was like embarrassing. Right. A humiliating single digit performance um, that made him think. And now we have, you know, hours before the primary, just this massive uh, er- political earthquake in, in the Granite State, uh, uh, the frozen tundra of New Hampshire. Um, the, those tectonic plates, political tectonic plates are shifting as we speak. Um, and it's all. Coming Do you really up think right it's now. shifting that much? I think it's already sh- it's been shifted already. And he just is finally figuring out what everyone else is seeing, that it's a Trump nomination and he can either hang on there and be delusional or he can face the music. I mean, to me, I felt like even waiting until this weekend was a bit of delusion uh, or as we've called it, the desantisy. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, look at all the endorsements, the string of people who have come into New Hampshire, Elise Stefanik, Tim Scott deciding to endorse Trump over Nikki Haley. Um, Tim Scott, by the way, was appointed senator of of South Carolina when Nikki Haley was governor. It's a really big dig. Uh, you have J.D. Vance. Of course, all these people are auditioning for vice president as well. But it's just it's pretty clear that the political universe has decided that Trump is the nominee even before this New Hampshire contest. And I'm sure Ron DeSantis dropping out of the race is only going to help Donald Trump because so many of his voters say that their second choice is, in fact, Donald Trump. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the only thing that was really shocking to me was how quickly he came out to endorse Donald Trump. That, to me, was a shocker. From all the people I spoke to who knew Ron DeSantis really well, they said he was stubborn, he had a massive ego, and that he would drop out, but then he would fade away, and then a month later would endorse Trump. People didn't think he would really go so far as to endorse Trump right away because Trump had been so brutal to him, just so brutal. All of the jokes, I mean, pudding fingers, Cuban heels, the uh, sanctimonious it was like so personal and hit with his staff. They put a billboard up in Tallahassee to make fun of him, even though they're not even playing against him in Florida, really. It was just it was just brutal. So I don't know. To me, it seems like he's got his tail between his legs and it's just not a good look. I don't know how this sets him up for 2028. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I was with him on Thursday night here in New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. He was actually doing, you know, a mimic Donald Trump impression. It seemed as if it seemed as if it was getting personal. It seemed as if it was certainly getting under his skin. Um, being in this race was um, was 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 um, was not fun. And I think you were the one. You were up here when he made one of his first trips to New Hampshire, and it never really got solid footing in the Granite State. He was um, just kind of politically tone deaf. I was there uh, at a small meeting after you know months of, of stiff arming activists begging for attention, begging for him to come to New Hampshire. He finally made it. The next morning, I did an event with him, and someone asked him, my son's in the military. I'm worried about China. Governor DeSantis, what do you think? And any natural politician would say, what is your son's name? Boy, it's the men and women like your son. I'll be praying for them. Instead, he gave an answer about um, repealing the IRA and budget reconciliation. And that's when I said, wow, Houston, we have a problem. This is a man who's really unable to connect with voters. And running for president, you need to have that personal touch that just seemed absent with him and his campaign throughout the entire duration. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a policy wonk and he likes to pivot there whenever he can. And obviously people, um, I think Drew Klein, who was on this show, made the same point too. Uh, Drew Klein is a popular radio host in New Hampshire, president of a right-leaning think tank. And he also said, you know, New Hampshire voters like you can go on and on about policy and all that, but they really want to have an emotional connection. And certainly Ron DeSantis trouble, has a lot of trouble with that, mainly because 
he's not the best retail politician. He's awkward. I mean, I saw that in New Hampshire too, has trouble looking people in the eye, not the most friendly. Um, he doesn't have a fervor. He doesn't have, he doesn't create a calling. I mean, he did pretty well in Iowa considering that, but yeah, in New Hampshire, it's, he wasn't, he wasn't planning to play in New Hampshire. So he really had to come in a strong first or second in Iowa to make this work, but he didn't. So what was he supposed to do? I think you're, you're so right. And you, you know, you've been working with a crystal ball this whole election. You showed up here his <laughs> first trip and you go, this, this don't look good. Um, and then I think even on Monday night, watching Iowa's results came in, you go, I think this guy's out this weekend. Um, even though reporting said, you know, uh, uh, contrary, um, you know, he might win the U S Virgin islands. It sounds like he might take it a vacation to the U.S. Virgin I- Islands after this. Um, but it's he just should, been very, very weird. And New Hampshire was such a place where a libertarian-leaning governor could have done well. And instead, it was, again, a very weird cultural... Um, he could have been the, I'm a young conservative governor. Come on back to the party. It's safe. Instead, he seemed to chase voters that thought Trump just wasn't weird enough. Yeah, It's true. I mean, he did try to play to the right and it was almost weird. I I would like to just talk about Ron DeSantis as a candidate um, this whole time and how he's sort of involved. Um, You know, he came on as a golden boy who Mitch McConnell could get behind, even though he was trying to be, you know, more MAGA than Trump or like the new version of the Trump MAGA superhero. Um, And he got people excited just because they wanted to get rid of Trump. And they thought, okay, if we have to get someone to inspire the base, maybe it can be Ron DeSantis, but we get rid of Trump at the same time. But then it turns out he's even crazier, passing a six-week abortion ban when, right before he gets out of the gate. And, you know, donors did not like that. And even people in New Hampshire, they thought that was too extreme because it's just like, again, live free or die, pseudo-libertarian, conservative, maybe more independent-leaning state. And so he wasn't winning any love there. And he really could only win with the evangelicals and even with the endorsement of evangelical leader Bob Vanderplatz in in, um, Iowa and and the governor, he really, he still didn't do well. He came in, what, 30 points, was it? Where did he come in 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 Iowa? 20? I can't remember. It's it's been weird. Yeah, 20. 20. 20. 20. There you go. 20. So a 30-point deficit, yes. Yeah, but 30 points less than Trump, yes. Yeah, he did not win one news cycle. That, you know, you have limited time, limited resources. Um, He did not engage with media or voters, his first three trips, uh, got caught up as you, I mean, I mean, one of the first questions at that small off the record meeting um, was about abortion by one of his supporters who said, that's a problem. Um, mm. And then spent the summer, you know, weird stuff on Twitter. Um, let me tell you the about the upside out. of- Total mess. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was like a month of like, let me tell you about the upside of slavery, um, that yeah. people learned skills. And then, and then it became, um, you know, just- process story after process story about the reset and the tension between Jeff Rowe and the super PAC not being on the same time, uh, page and, and the debates. It was a horrific, horrific campaign. Um, it's unclear if you could ever recover. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I, there may be more autopsies written about this campaign than any other campaign in history. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but at least in modern history, because of how much money they spent. They spent $200 million on a super PAC. And they still came in 30 points less than Donald Trump, which is crazy. $200 million on one state, Iowa. I mean, maybe a little less than that. But it was all in for Iowa and they still could not turn it around. And it's just like, how is that money blown like that? Um, That's through the super PAC, never back down. Every story about Ron DeSantis was, in fact, about the disorganization on either his campaign, having to fire people because he had such a big campaign and they blew through money so quickly during the summer that he had to lay off staff. And then they had to give a lot of the, you know, campaign duties over to the super PAC, which can get you in trouble in the long run. We'll see if he ever gets nailed for that. 
but you know, it was, it was, there were too many process stories. Like you just don't want a campaign where it's all process stories. Yeah. I mean, they really uh, went after the media, shunned the media. And if you're running, running a presidential campaign, that might not be the best idea. Um, it was just weird from the start. Um, no one knows, um, you know, what the message was. No one really got to know him. You know, people here in New Hampshire would meet him and then they would come up to me and be like, Hey, Maddie, can I just spend some time with him? Cause I think I can teach him some people skills. And I'd be like, there's a, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars around this guy. You think you're the only one who's realizing this? There's a question as to whether or not, you know, he came out saying I was right on COVID and now I'm going to be right on everything. That hard nosed approach makes it very difficult for a candidate to learn. Um, and, and I think, yeah. and I think that kind of just showed, well, you know, I've been reporting on Ron DeSantis since like 2021 and a lot of his former aides warned me about this. They said he's extremely stubborn. He doesn't take advice from anyone. Um, because of that, he has such a high staff turnover, like even the chiefs of staff that he's had in the governor's office. He's had so many of them. A lot of people that worked for him went on to work for Donald Trump. In fact, so they knew his weaknesses and they were able to really like hit at his ego because he has such a, um, a big ego and thin skin. So they were, that's why all these memes and puns really worked with Ron DeSantis because they knew exactly where to get him. And he just never really took, um, anyone's advice seriously. He always, it was always kind of like seen as a, you know, a party of two, Ron DeSantis and his wife, Casey, and they would consult with each other and everybody else was sort of left out. And, you know, in these races, you kind of have to be able to listen to somebody. Um, it's, it's, I know there's a lot of people wanting to give you advice, so you kind of need to shun some people out. But at the same time, you do have to listen from time to time. He seemed very arrogant. Again, stiff arming New Hampshire. Not go- It seemed as if he believed his own hype. Um, they thought Tallahassee mm-hmm. was the new Rome. They came up here on the 4th of July, went, marched down a parade in New Hampshire and said, make America Florida. Did they actually say that? Yes, it was a no? chant. It was a chant. Uh, it was, it was, oh my God, it was, stop. It was shocking. They seem absolutely enamored being the governor and, and first lady of Florida. Well, the rest of the country is not um, so enamored. They want to hear about your vision for the country or, or their family, the challenges that they have. Um, it was just very, very um, uh, sterile, um, arrogant. It mm-hmm. seemed as if, you know, um, this was a, a guy who thought he was already the nominee, maybe already on his uh, way to be the president. He would close town halls by saying, and if you support me, you'll have the you know, the pleasure or the privilege of watching me raise my hand on January 20th and being sworn in. That is a very, very self-centered message. Not a, I believe in this room. I believe in this state. I believe in this country. We can change it all, but I need, this isn't about me. This is about you. It seemed to be, um, you know, uh, he was not looking at the crowd. Rather, he wanted to look into a mirror, a very Adonis, um, Icarus, you know, this is a, a, a true Greek mythology tragedy here. (laughs) I think you might be right about it. It is, it does feel like it is that cataclysmic how far he's fallen. Um, to think, yeah, that he was pulling ahead of Trump. I mean, he would say that it's the indictments that helped Trump, that every indictment was like turbo fuel and that they could never win. And I guess now they think, you know, 2028 is the future or else he wouldn't have endorsed Trump. I mean, I was really surprised to see him endorse Trump so, so quickly. Um, It's to me, the way he was treated was brutal. And I can't imagine Trump's done with him either. Trump will still kick, will still kick him around. He thinks it's an ultimate betrayal that Ron DeSantis, after he endorsed him, 
for governor of Florida when he was actually really struggling. Like he barely won the gubernatorial race his first time around against Andrew Gillum. And he really barely won the primary against Adam Putnam. So, you know, he wasn't as strong of a political player. And Trump likes to remind people that he would have never gotten the job if he wasn't endorsed by Trump. And so to to, to Trump, it was an ultimate betrayal. Uh, and I just can't imagine him getting back into the MAGA bosom of Trump. But then again, he's taken other people back. Who knows if he finds him to be useful? Yeah, Matt Gates is up here right now, and he is playing peacemaker. He is talking about this weird thing about mommy and daddy have been fighting, and and now they're going to get back together, and and DeSantis is so going to get back on the team. That's very weird. Very weird. Yeah, hearing that from uh, Matt Gates. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Um, but yes, Trump is a transactional. Um, candidate. And when it works in his favor, he is happy to have your endorsement. Uh, and when it comes to helping you out, um, that'll be up to him. Yeah. I mean, why does he need Ron DeSantis right now? He, he like barely has any followers and he was going to beat him in Florida two to one. So what does he need Ron DeSantis for? Maybe he just wants to punish him. I think right now it's, you know, Nikki Haley may could have been a true threat to Trump here in New Hampshire. Um, they were taking her very seriously. And to now have this coalescing uh, in New Hampshire days before the primary. Um, again, maybe it's not a shock to you or me that Ron DeSantis dropped out. But now you have just nonstop coverage of the party is getting together behind Trump. This is inevitable. So for the voter, it feels as if Will Tuesday even matter? Um, is there a real need to get out there or is the cake baked? Um, so that's why I think this is very important here in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is the beginning of the process and it could be the end of the process. New Hampshire gave Trump his first win in 2016 and it made him his final win um, for this nomination in 2024. So right now, it's just a very interesting time. The Nikki Haley team feels absolutely deflated. Uh, team Trump is riding high. They've now scalped uh, Ron DeSantis, like you said, humiliated him. Yeah. Um, a four-minute, a very weird four-minute video citing Winston Churchill, talking about random issues, and at the end of the day, yeah. he's, he's endorsing Trump. I feel like the Fauci thing too. It's like God, nobody's thinking about COVID anymore the way that you are in the culture wars. Like he was kind of an obsessing on issues that were you know, from years prior, everyone's moved on from that, even in his final message. Like, it's just, it's kind of, I don't know, it's pretty humiliating to have him go out that way and then endorse Trump, um, just saying like, oh, I had differences with him on Fauci and culture war issues. And even the way he presents it, I mean, he would, I would go to, he did an entire town hall about, you know, the dangers of the COVID vaccine and mRNA. And then you would go there and, and it was just a very weird feeling. He would start speaking, yeah. um, you know, uh, DEI is DOA and FLA. So your average voter, that doesn't connect. Only a handful of people. Um, does that resonate with? Right. If anything, the war against Disney proved to be not very popular. So, you know, lots of lessons to be learned from Ron DeSantis. Let me ask you, Tara, you've been following this. You've been, you've been working with that crystal ball. We're, we're, we're almost in the <laughs> rearview mirror. Is there anybody in this race that you think could have beaten Donald Trump? Or conversely, is there anybody who didn't run that maybe could have pulled the sword from the stone? Michelle Obama. As a Democrat, though. Well, what about Republicans? Republicans. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, no, I don't see anyone who could have beaten him at this point. But that's actually a good question. I'm really trying to think hard about it. But I don't see anyone who could have beaten him. Mm, even now, like even now, the whole the whole race has consolidated. Like this is exactly what everyone had wanted. Nikki Precisely. Haley Precisely. against 
one candidate, right? The anti-Trump candidate against the pro-Trump candidate. And it still doesn't look like she's going to win in New Hampshire. Yeah, or much less a nomination. Yes, you are correct. And that's, I guess, uh, my point, you know, as Republicans, a lot of people thought, you know, he won a, a, in 2016 with fracture, you know, 30 percent. Um, in New Hampshire, he was winning with with so many people in the field. And the notion was, you know, let's make it a one on one race. That way, Donald Trump does not win. Well, it appears Donald Trump is in a far stronger position mm. in 2024 than he was even in 2016. Right. Um, and that's really shocking, considering that, you know, he's probably had to make his case um, his legal case to the to the jury box more than he's been making it to the voters over the past couple of uh, months. Um, so yeah, it appears as if he is nothing but uh, you know Trump twenty twenty four is Trump on uh, sixteen on steroids. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Trump may be gliding into an even stronger position than he was in twenty sixteen or twenty twenty. And I wonder if um, from now on. DeSantis's campaign will forever be a hallmark of one of the worst campaigns in modern history, kind of like how people talk about Scott, Scott Walker or Tim Pawlenty. Um, we'll see. Maybe he makes a comeback in 2028. I think we'll all be paying attention to Ron DeSantis and what he ends up doing next. Thank you so much for hopping on the phone with us, Matthew. I know you're running around New Hampshire. It's cold. There's lots going on. There's excitement. Ron DeSantis obviously does not have an event anymore at 5 p.m. <laughs> so you have some free time. Yeah. And that was another episode of Somebody's Gotta Win. I'm your host, Tara Palmieri. If you like this show, please share it, subscribe, send it to your friends. If you like my reporting, please sign up for my newsletter, The Best and the Brightest, at puck.news slash Tara Palmieri. And you can use the discount code Tara20. I want to thank my producer, Christopher Sutton, for dropping on the line so quickly to make sure you could get this emergency podcast. And of course, Matthew Bartlett for being on the line in New Hampshire. See you on Wednesday with the results from the New Hampshire primary. <laughs>